when we read a new episode in our podcast, does that word epod, E-P-O-D-E, chantment, come from? Doesn't that come from Pythagoras himself? So now the terms we use are coming from what we're reading. This In this episode, which, of course, the word episode comes from this episode, chapter uh, 26 uh, in the life of Pythagoras by Amplicus, translated by Thomas Taylor. Since, however, we are narrating the wisdom employed by Pythagoras in instructing his disciples, it will not be inappropriate to relate that which is proximate in a following order to this, vis-a-vis how he invented the harmonic science and harmonic ratios. That's what he's famous for, right? Harmonic ratios. But for this purpose, we must begin a little higher, intently considering once and reasoning with with himself, whether it would be possible to devise a certain instrumental assistance to the hearing, which should be firm and unerring, such as the sight obtained through the compass and the rule, or by Jupiter through a dioptic trick, instrument, or such as the touch obtains through the balance, or the contrivance of measures, thus considering as he was walking near a brazier's shop, he heard from a certain divine casualty the hammers beating out a piece of iron on an anvil. (laughs) So this all comes from basically a smith, right? As a smith, I'm reading about a smith beating on iron. (laughs) Hammers beating out a piece of iron on an anvil and producing sounds that accorded with each other. One combination only accepted, but he recognized in those sounds the diapason, the diapente, and the diatessaron and harmony. Remember how we read the untuning of the sky? <laughs> and that the diapason came full in man. <laughs> he saw, however, that the sound which was between the diatessaron and the diapente was itself, by itself, dissonant, yet nevertheless gave completion to that which was the greater sound among them. Being delighted, therefore, to find that the thing which he was anxious to discover had succeeded to his wishes by divine assistance, he went into the brazier's shop and found by various instructions experiments that the difference of sound arose from the magnitude of the hammers. Uh-huh. Do you think if we have a a hammer that's two pounds and a hammer that's four pounds and a hammer that's one pound and I think we could play music? <laughs> 
but not from the force of the strokes nor from the figure of the hammers nor from the transportation of the iron which was beaten when therefore he had accurately weighed uh, examined the weights and the equal counterpoise of the hammers he returned home and fixed one stake diagonally to the walls least if there were many a certain difference should arise from this circumstance or in short least the peculiar, na peculiar nature of each of the stakes should cause a suspicion of mutation afterwards from this stake he suspended four cords consisting of the same materials and of the same magnitude and thickness and likewise equally twisted to the extremity of each cord he also tied a weight and when he had so contrived that the cords were perfectly equal to each other in length he afterwards alternatively struck two cords at once and found the be mentioned symphonies vis-a-vis -vis a different symphony in a different combination he discovered that the cord which was stretched by the greatest weight produced when compared with that which was stretched by the smallest, the symphony diapason. But the former of these weights was twelve pounds, and the latter six, and therefore being in a double, double, double ratio, it exhibited the consonance diapason, which the weights themselves rendered apparent. But again he found that the cord from which the greatest weight was suspended compared with that from which the weight next to the smallest depended, and which weight was eight pounds, produced the symphony diapente. Now, that could be the, the fifth chord or something. Pente. Hence he discovered that this symphony is in a sesquialta ratio in which the ratio among the weights were to each other seems like he's uh, going to be developing the musical instruments this is like being in music theory class <laughs> and he found that the chord which was stretched by the greatest weight produced when compared with that which was next to it in weight and was nine pounds. Uh -huh. hmm. And the symphony, diatessaron, analogously to the weights. Uh -huh. This ratio, therefore, he discovered to be sesquiterion, but that of the cord from which a weight of nine pounds was suspended to the cord which had the smallest weight, or six pounds, to be sesquilter. For nine is to six is a sesquilter ratio. Hmm. That is nine over six. It's like three over two. Hmm. In like manner, the cord next to that from which the smallest weight was depended was to that which had the smallest weight in a sesquitertion ratio. For it was a ratio <clears throat> of eight to six. 
course, being like four to three. To that, to the cord which had the greatest weight in a sesqualter ratio, for such is the ratio of twelve to eight. Hence, that which is between the day, diapente, and the death, diatesteron, and by which the diapente exceeds the diatesteron, is proved to be in a ekpagdoion ratio, or that of nine to eight. Mm-hmm. Seems he's uh, figuring out the mathematics of music. Uh-huh. But either way, it may be proved that the diapason is a system consisting of a diapente in conjunction with the diatesaron, just as the duple ratio. Consist of the sesquelter and the sesquitertion, as, for instance, 12, 8, and 6 are conversely of the diatesseron and the diapente, as in the duple ratio of the sesquitertion and the sesquelter ratios, as, for instance, 12, 9, and 6. After this manner, therefore, in this order, having conformed both his hands and his hearing to the suspended weights, and having established according to them the ratio of the habitudes, he transferred by an easy artifice the common suspension of the cords from the diagonal stake to the linmon, to the instrument which he called cord do tonon. Can you imagine like the word cord comes from the word cord uh, all the way to us uh-huh. from Pythagoras? Do you think what we use is derived from somebody from 500 BC? Hmm? Or do you think it's not? Hmm? You think it is or isn't? The cord. <laughs> But he produced by the aid of Peg's attention of the cords analogous to that weighted by affected by the weights. Uh-huh. We could do reproduce this test with a bunch of kids in music class. Uh-huh. Employing this method, therefore, as a basis and as it were an infallible rule, he afterwards extended the experiment to various instruments, vis-à-vis to the pulsations of pate, patale, or pans, to pipes and reeds, and to monochords, triangles, and the like, and and in all these he found an immutable, immutable concord with the ratio of numbers. Hmm. It seems that there's numbers in everything. Mm Mm-hmm. But he denominated the sound which participates of the number six, hypate, with that which participates of the participates of the number eight in this sesquitertion messe, that which participates of the number nine, but is more acute by a, a tone than messe, he called Peramese and epogdos, E-P-O-G-D-O-U-S, 
but that which participates of the do, dotakad or nete, D-O-D-E-K-C-A-D or N-E-T-E, having also filled up the middle spaces with analogous sounds according to the diatonic genus. He formed an octochord from symphonious numbers, vis-a-vis from the double, the sequestrator, the sesquitertion, and from the difference of these, the epogdos. And thus he discovered the harmonic progression, which tends by a certain physical necessity from the most grave, in other words, flat, to the most acute sound, according to this diatonic genus. And for from the diatonic he rendered the chromatic and enharmonic genus precipicuous, as we shall sometime or other show when we treat of music. This diatonic genus, however, appears to have such physical gradations and progressions as the following, vis-a-vis a semitone, a tone, and then a tone. And this is the diatessaron being a system consisting of two tones and of what is called semitone. Afterwards, another tone being assumed vis-a-vis the one which is immediate. The diapente is produced, which is a system consisting of three tones and a semitone. Do you think we just take music for granted and we need to maybe rediscover it all from scratch? With numbers. <laughs> in the next place to this is a system of a semitone, a tone, and a tone, forming another diatessaron, another sequitertion ratio, so that in the more ancient heptachord, indeed, all the sounds from the most grave, which are with respect to each other forths, produce everywhere with each other the symphony diatessaron and the semitone receiving by transition the first, third, and third place according to the tetrachord. In the Pythagoric octachord, however, which by conjunction is a system of the tetrachord and the pentachord, but if disjoined is a system of two tetrachords, separated from each other, and the progression is from the most grave sound. Hence all the sounds that are by their distance from each other fifths produce with each other the symphony diapente and the semichord tone successively successively proceeding into four places vis-a-vis the first, second, third, and fourth after this manner, therefore, it is said that music was discovered by Pythagoras. My goodness. Uh-huh. Who, where do you witness the discovery of music? Uh-huh. Hmm. And having reduced it to a system, he delivered it to his disciples as subservient to everything that is most beautiful. You think it this is the most beautiful. Iambicus hmm. derived what he has said in this chapter about music from 
Nicomachus. So the writer here, Iambicus, has said in this chapter about music what he got from Nicomachus, N-I-C-O-M-A-C-H-U-S. That was chapter 26, was the chapter on how Pythagoras discovered music and delivered it to disciples that subservient to everything that is most beautiful. Chapter 27, many also of the political actions of his followers are deservedly praised. For it is reported that the Crotonians, being once impelled to make sumptuous funerals and interments, some of one, some one of them said to the people that he had heard Pythagoras when he he was discoursing about divine natures. Uh, observe that the Olympian gods attended to the dispositions of those that sacrificed and not to the multitude of the sacrifices, but that, on the contrary, the terrestrial gods are being allotted the government of things less important, rejoiced in banquets and lamentations, and farther still, in continual libations and delicacies and in celebrating funerals with great expense. Whence, on account of his wish to receive, Pluto is called Hades. He suffers, therefore, those that slenderly honor him to remain for a longer time in the upper world, but he is always drawn, draws down some one of those who are disposed to spend profusely on funeral solemnities in order that he may obtain the honors which take place in commemoration of the dead. In consequence of this advice, the Crotonians that heard it were of opinion that if they conducted themselves moderately in misfortunes, they would preserve their own salvation, but that if they were immoderate in their expenses, they would all of them die prematurely. A certain person also, having been made an arbitrator in an affair in which there was no witness, Wad each of the litigants to a certain monument and said to one of them, The man who is buried in this monument was transcendently equitable in consequence of which the other litigant prayed that the dead man might obtain much good. But the former said that the dis defunct was not at all better for the prayers of his opponent. Pythagoras therefore condemned what the former litigant said, but asserted that he who praised the dead man for his worth had done that which would be of no small importance in his claim to belief. At another time, in a cause of great moment, he decided that one of the two who had agreed to settle the affair by arbitration should pay four talents, but that the other should receive two. Afterwards, he condemned the defendant to pay three talents, and thus he appeared to have given a talent to each of them. Two persons also had fraudulently deposited a garment with the woman who belonged to a court of justice and told her she was not to give it to either of them unless both were present. 
Some time after, for the purpose of circumvention, one of them received the common deposit and said that it was with the consent of the other. But the other, who had not been present when the garment was returned, acted the part of a sycophant and related the compact that was made at the beginning to the magistrates. A certain Pythagorean, however, taking up the affair, said that the woman had acted conformably to the compact, as both parties had been present. Two other persons also appeared to have a strong friendship for each other, but had fallen into a silent suspicion through a flatterer of one of them, who told him that his wife had been corrupted by the other. It so happened, however, that a Pythagorean came into a brazier shop where he had conceived himself to be injured, was showing to the artist a sword which he had given him to sharpen, and was indignant with him because it was not sufficiently sharp. The Pythagorean, therefore, suspecting that the sword was intended to be used against him, who was accused of adultery, said, this sword is sharper than all things except calumny. <laughs> Thus being said, caused the man to consider with himself what it was he intended to do, and not rashly to sin against his friend, who was within and who had been previously called by him in order that he might kill him. A zone also that had golden ornaments, having fallen at the feet of a certain stranger, in the temple of Esculapius, and the laws forbidding anyone to take up that which had fallen on the ground. A Pythagorean advised the stranger who was indignant at this prohibition to take away the golden ornaments, which had not fallen to the ground, but to leave the zone, because this was on the ground. That circumstance, likewise, which by the ignorant is transferred to other places is said to have happened in Crotona, vis-a-vis that during a public spectacle some cranes flew over the theater, and one of those who had sailed into the port said to the person who sat near him, Do you see the witnesses? Which being heard by a certain Pythagorean, he brought them into the court, consisting of a thousand magistrates, where being examined, it was found that they had thrown certain boys into the sea, and that they called the cranes, who flew over the ship at the time witnesses of the deed. Hmm. When likewise certain persons who had recently become disciples of Pythagoras were at variance with each other, he who was the junior of the two came to the other and said to him that there was no occasion to refer the affair to a third person, but that it rested with them to commit their anger to oblivion. He therefore, to whom these words were addressed, replied that he was very much pleased in other respects with what had been said, but that he was ashamed that being the elder he had not first said the same thing to the other who was the junior. We might here also narrate what is said a Pintheos and Daemon <laughs> of Plato and Archytas, and likewise of Quinius and Proeus. Omitting, however, these for the present, we shall mention what is related of Eubulus the Messenian, who 
when he was sailing homeward, was taken captive by the Tyrrhenians and was recognized by Nasithus of Tyrrhenian and also Pythagorean because he was one of the disciples of Pythagoras and was taken by him from the pirates and brought with great safety to Messina when the Carthaginians also were about to send more than 5,000 soldiers into a desert island. Miltidius, the Carthaginian, the Carthaginian, receiving among them the Argive Posidon, both of them being Pythagoreans, went to him and not manifesting what he intended to do, advised him to return to his native country with all possible celerity. And having placed him in a ship that was then sailing near the shore, supplied him with what was necessary for his voyage, and thus saved the man from the dangers to which he was exposed. In short, he who should relate all that has taken place among the Pythagoreans in their associations with others would by the length of his narration exceed the proper quantity and the occasion of this treatise. I shall therefore rather pass on to show that some of the Pythagoreans were political characters and adapted to govern. For they were guardians of the laws and ruled other certain Italian cities, unfolding to them and counseling them to adopt the most excellent measures, but abstaining from public revenues. And though they were greatly calumniated, yet at the same time the probity of the Pythagoreans and the wish of the cities themselves prevailed so that they were desired by them to administer their political concerns. But at this time the most beautiful of polities appeared to have existed in Italy and in Sicily and Charandas, the Catanian, who appears to have been one of the best legislatures, was a Pythagorean. Huh. I've heard of this Charandas. I don't know much about him. C-H-A-R-O-N-D-A-S was a Pythagorean, as were also the Lochians, Saulucus, and Timarus, who were celebrated for their legislation. Those also who established the hygienic polities, that polity, which is called gymnasaic, and that which is denominated from Theocles, as are said to have been Pythagoreans. Pietius, likewise, Theocles, Leocrion, Aristocrates, excelled among the Pythagoreans in their studies and manners, which also the cities in those places adapted at those times. In short, it is asserted that that Pythagoras was the inventor of the whole political erudition when he said that nothing is pure among things that have an existence. If it's a exist in a physical world, he has said that nothing is pure among things that have an existence, but that earth participates of fire, fire of water, air, air of water, and water of spirit, 
and in a similar manner the beautiful participants of the deformed and the just of the unjust and the other things conformably to these from this hypothesis however the reasoning tends to either party also said that there are two motions of the body and the soul and the one being irrational but the other the effect of deliberate choice there's two motions do you have two motions within you hello there are two motions of the body and soul one being irrational but the other the effect of deliberate choice did you make a deliberate choice to sit in meditation <laughs> or, <laughs> but there's another part of you that's irrational <laughs> that three certain lines also constitute polities of the extremes of which mutually touch each other and produce one right angle so that one of them has the nature of the sesquintarian and the other of the dihependa Oh my goodness. And the third is a medium between the other two. Now he's talking about how the motions in your body and soul somehow there's two motions, one's irrational, the other's deliberate. And then he relates it to music. To what he was just discovering. With the numbers four, three and two. So we can figure out what's going on in your body and soul. Put the numbers four, three, and two. But that three certain lines also constitute polities, the extremes of which mutually touch each other and they produce one right angle, so that one of them has the nature of the sesquitarian and that of the pentende, and the uh, third is a medium between the other two. But when we consider by a reasoning process the coincidences of the lines with each other and also of the places under these, we shall find that they represent the best image of a polity. Plato has made the glory of this invention his own, for he clearly says in his Republic, quote, that the sesquintertium progeny conjoined with the pendot produces two harmonies. Hmm. So if you want an explanation of Plato and the public, see the theoretical arithmetic uh, produces two harmonies. It is also said that Pythagoras cultivated the moderation of the passions and mediocrity and that by the conjunction of a certain Precedonius good, he rendered the life of each of his disciples happy. <laughs> See, you can, by the cultivation of the moderation of the passions, through training from Pythagoras, you can become happy. It says that Pythagoras cultivated the moderation of the passions and mediocrity, and that by the conjunction of a certain Precedonius good, he rendered the life of each of his disciples happy. He made them happy. It's like he tuned them up using, uh, maybe he used the music of the spheres to tune them. 
It is likewise narrated of him that he withdrew the Crotonians from harlots. Actually, it says, and, and in short, it is said that he discovered the choice of our good and of the works adapted to our nature. It is likewise narrated of him that he withdrew the Crotonians from harlots and universally from an association with women that were not affianced, affianced, not affiance, in other words, not affianced, not. For the wives of the Crotonians came to Theano, the wife of Brantidaneus, one of the Pythagoreans, a woman of wise. Here it is, a wife. They came to Theano, T-H-E-A-N-O. She is one of the Pythagoreans, a woman of wise and excellent soul, and who was the author of that beautiful, admirable saying, quote, that it is lawful for a woman to sacrifice on the very day in which she has risen from the embraces of her husband, which some ascribe to Theano, the wife of Pythagoras. Uh -huh. Ooh, she's allowed to arise from the embraces of her husband on the very day. <laughs> That's Pythagoras's wife. <laughs> now he figured out. He also had children, I think. And the Crotonian wives came therefore to her and entreated her to persuade Pythagoras to discourse to them on the countenance which was due from them to their husbands. Thus she promised to do, and Pythagoras, having, according, having accordingly made an oration to the Crotonians, which had the desired effect, the incontinence which, was, which then prevailed was entirely destroyed. It is further related, likewise, that when ambassadors came to the city of the Crotonians, from Sybaris for the purpose of demanding the exiles. Uh -huh. Pythagoras, beholding one of the ambassadors, who with his own hand had slain one of his friends, made him no answer. But when the man interrogated him and wished to converse with him, Pythagoras said that it was not lawful to discourse with homicides. Whence, also, by certain persons, he was thought to be Apollo. In all these particulars, therefore, and as such as we have a, a little before mentioned concerning the destruction of tyrants, and the li liberation of the cities of Italy and Sicily, and many other circumstances, are intentions of the benefits conferred on mankind by Pythagoras and political concerns. Uh -huh. So, it seems he made his disciples happy with his music theory, and then he, uh, he discovered music. Uh, and, uh, and some of the Pythagoreans are involved in politics. Uh, hmm. Hmm.
a long chapter. This next one, ooh, uh, long. Next chapter. We finished chapter 27, where we met his wife, and in chapter 26 we discovered music, uh, which we now, they're ending this episode, epod, which is itself derived from Pythagoras, and we're ending it on this chord. I'll play later on some music using a chord, which they have been discovered by Pythagoras. Uh-huh. So this stuff is not old stuff that's of no current value to us at all, because it is what we have now. Uh-huh. It is the current music of the spheres. We are reading from Iambicus's Life of Pythagoras. Mm-hmm.